Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, episode 122. Mmm, pie. Recorded January 22nd, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. This week, Sean is going to regale us with his uh, uh, experiences and excitement over the Raspberry Pi. And that Sean, of course, is Mr. Sean Geibel. Hiya, Sean. How you doing? I am doing wonderful, Mark. Uh, how about yourself this week? You know, so far, so good. It's only Tuesday, so there's plenty of room for things to go downhill. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I didn't mention this off air before we got started, but uh, is this some sort of special month that we're growing beards out again? Is what, What's going on there? I've been growing this since November. You just now noticed? It's just really starting to fill in, I guess. Uh, it's very, uh, you're kind of starting to look very Captain Ahabish. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> well, ordinarily, I tend to sit a little more behind the, I think that's yes, it. That's let right. Me, let me come out from behind the mic. Nice, nice. See, now this is why you should join us live and yeah. uh, get an actual vi- uh, visual of the show. Uh, wow, yeah, that's filling in quite nicely. It's not ZZ Top or even Duck Dynasty, but, uh, you know, I, I started growing it in November for, you know, the the, the no-shave November thing. Uh-huh. Uh, and then when I got to the end of November, I thought, eh, let's see what happens. And then, you know, I got through Christmas and, and started to go back to work on the first of the year and thought, eh, let's see what happens. So now it's, you know, I've never had a long beard. I don't know. I don't know how long is too long. It's starting to look a little rough, but you know, when you when you grow your hair long, it's got to get through that awkward phase before it starts to look cool. So right. maybe beards are the same way. I don't know. So I'm just I'm fortunate enough. I have a job where the facial hair is not uh, in the dress code. You know, they don't care either way. So uh, okay. I thought I'd just play with it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, now you're going to have to start to grow out the uh, like. Einstein head of hair because you know having this big bushy beard and a well coiffed top it just doesn't quite you know you got to balance it out. Well, the problem is my hair turns into a fro when it gets long. It turns into a white man's afro, um, a wifro. Uh, and so, I'd love to see that. Yeah, it's not attractive. I tried it in the eighties. Yeah, uh, you know we we all experimented in the eighties. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> I, I tried to do the mullet thing back when the mullet was cool, and oh, it just yeah. it just curled up and was like a a rat sitting on the back of my neck. It never didn't really work. Okay, okay, yeah, I did the mullet thing too. Uh, early high school, I did the mullet. Uh, so I've got football and track pictures with me and the mullet, and it just yeah, Billy yeah. Ray Cyrus led the way, man. Everybody had to have it, a mullet. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so uh, yeah, glad those times are behind us. <laughs> So times that are ahead of us are, uh, if you live in the U.S., it's tax season. Uh, it's yes. a mere three, less than three months away uh, till your taxes have to be in. And I've just got to give props to one of my favorite apps. I'm sure I've talked about it on the show. Maybe not. We don't do a lot of app talk on this on the show. But one of my favorite phone apps uh, that's available on both Android and iPhone is called Cam Scanner. And it does just like the name implies. You snap a picture. And it scan, it turns it into a scan. Now you might think I can take a picture of something. Why would I want to do that? But no, no, no. Cam scanner goes way farther than just taking a picture. If it's at a weird angle or whatever, it adjusts the shear and 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 crops it out and uh, um, 
It'll adjust the the contrast and the brightness, and it'll make it. I mean, you can take a picture of, uh, you know, just a document laying casually on a table, and it'll turn it into something that looks like a print printed page. It's it's amazing how good it is at, the, and it's a totally free thing, um, on both platforms. Uh, there is a pro version that you can pay for, and I honestly don't know what more it gives you. And then once you've done that, you can upload them to Google Drive, or I use Dropbox, or you can send yourself an email, or you can post it to Twitter or whatever. So uh, what I use it have been using for, I use it a lot actually. Um, when I, this summer when I was uh, having to do uh, a rental thing, I had to sign a contract. I didn't have a, uh, a sign and fax it. I didn't have a fax machine, so I printed it out, signed it, took a picture of it with cam scanner, and sent it back. Um, nice. But what I'm doing with it right now, and what makes it seasonal, is uh, tax forms. All those W whatever forms that come in the mail, your 1090 whatever forms that you get. You always got to file those away somewhere, do do whatever. I, as soon as I get one, I take it, I lay it, I, usually I just like prop it up on my laptop or lay it on my desk. I take a picture of it, uh, store it in a uh, a document. The, the, the documents inside CamScanner can restore multiple pages. And then you can export export that single multi-page document as one PDF. So I get my W-2 from my previous employer, snap a picture of it, put it in that folder. From my current employer, snap a picture of it, put it in that folder. From from this bank, from that bank, from my you know my mortgage interest, all the all the stuff that you get. Then when I get them all in one, I upload it to Dropbox as a single PDF, and boom, there's all my tax documents. So it's a great app for this time of year. Just thought I'd give some props to Cam Scanner. All right. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. I, I remember, I think it's, uh, I think I was around when you, you first got that app and you were showing it off to me and uh, it was pretty cool. Um, while we're giving props out, uh, I wanted to, I know we mentioned it a few weeks ago, but uh, we had a listener that had offered to do, uh, I don't know, what do you call them? Uh, show transcripts, Mark? Yeah, yeah. Show notes, transcripts. That, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, so uh, Robert Williams is a listener of the show, and uh, he contacted us out of the blue, which was uh, very nice, and uh, offered up to uh, to do uh, quote-unquote show notes. So I, I thought he was going to help out with actual show note development, which we could always use as well. But, uh, but what he actually fired back was uh, transcripts of uh, shows we had already released, uh, but they're really good. Uh, and obviously took a lot of work. So again, I wanted to give uh, a shout out to him. But uh, the big reason I wanted to say something is uh, I I was uh, uh, trading emails with him last week, and turns out his birthday was last week, uh, January sixteenth. So I wanted to say uh, happy birthday to Robert Williams. Well, unless you know something I don't, Sean, he only ended up doing one show worth of notes. Has he sent you others? He, yeah, he's he was working on another one uh, right now. It didn't. It wasn't quite totally finished. He was uh, part way through it. But um, as soon as we get that finished, then we'll uh, we'll get that over to you. Actually, I did add you to the share uh, to the share list. So uh, although in common fashion, I didn't put it in our folder. So <laughs> so I wouldn't know that it's there. Right, right. That's the way Google Drive has changed now. You have a my shared folder buried down at the bottom that you never look at. And right, things just get dropped there, and you're oh, I didn't know that. Well, and I'm in such a habit of you know from the early days. I mean, all you had was that share button in the upper right, and that's just what you did. You know, you just clicked share and threw in the person's email, and boom, that was a done deal. Uh, and then when you when they did give us folders, that was nice because you could just drag and drop things. But then yes, then they go and shove it in the bottom, like oh, nobody will ever use this. Uh, and yeah, 
that effectively took it out of my consciousness. <laughs> consciousness. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Mark, I wanted to, uh, this is something that just came up, kind of had one of these, uh, I don't, I'm not going to call it flash of brilliance yet, but um, I had an idea because, you know, it's that, especially it's that time of year, kind of hit mid-year, early on in the year, I've, uh, you know, did, I did an effective job of harping on my users about open a trouble ticket, right? And we've, we've talked about this several times over the course of the years, uh, on this show about, uh, trouble ticket systems and how to get users to use them and all this kind of stuff. And it occurred to me today because, uh, lately we've been getting this flood of, well, I don't remember my login and, uh, it's all this kind of stuff. And I know these are excuses. And so I want to start off with that. I mean, I know this stuff are, you know, they're excuses. But I got to thinking about the system that I'm using, which is a good, it's old, but it is serviceable trouble ticket system. Uh, one or zero, right? Same one that, I mean, you put it in place, Mark. Yeah, like in 98 or 99. It's old. Right. But it's basic and it does the job, uh, especially in my environment. This is a small environment. Uh, so, uh, I mean, effectively less than a hundred users. I mean, we have many more on the network, but actual users of the trouble ticket system are effectively under a hundred and, uh, and only about 20 of them actually use it. So right. it's even less there. So, and that's, you know, that's been just the forever dilemma. So I got to thinking about it and, and I want to get your, your thoughts on, on this idea. If I could just make a. Uh, super simplistic trouble ticket system, basically something where they have a desktop icon that says like, help me. I don't know. So, you know, <laughs> something really basic desktop icon, no login and literally like three fields, like name, room number. And, you know, we're talking about in a school district. So name, room number, problem. So they literally, they click it because, you know, Again, in my environment, I don't need any, you know, I don't even really need advanced like tracking and reporting and all this kind of stuff. And I understand that a lot of users out there will need things like that, but I'm not sure that I, I, I never really look at it anyway. Um, we stay on top of our tickets. It's not like we have this huge backlog or anything. So I'm kind of thinking of trying to just develop something simple like that, that they just, they click a desktop icon. They have like three fields to fill out, you know. If you can't do that, I'm sorry. I can't help you because you obviously should not be touching a computer. <laughs> <Is> that... <laughs> well, you you might look at uh, our our good friends uh, over at SpiceWorks. They have a an email based help desk. These teachers can send emails. Basically, it's an address that you send tickets to help at whatever. Uh, right, and, and that would probably that everybody raves about um, the SpiceWorks. A help desk we never used it we used the inventory system and, and quickly became disillusioned with it so you know you might want to look at that uh what one thing you do need i think in even the most basic trouble ticket is some sort of response system and a way to track those responses because what you'll get if it's name room number problem you'll get mm -hmm. john room 16 don't work and so then you'll have to reply back well what don't work and then they'll reply back computer and then you reply back what about right. the computer don't work? So you got to be able to track that. Otherwise, it's just a flurry of, of t uh, repeat tickets or, or emails or however you're going to do that. You got to be able to thread those in some way. Well, but, you know, I mean, Spiceworks does it through email. 
So right, uh, but they also they tag all those and and put all those emails together in in a support dashboard. Is how they do it. Yeah. I don't know that I need to go that that complicated. I mean, now if I can get the thing to to submit it in an email, that would be good because then we're we're dealing with Google, uh, with Gmail, right? So then it is a threaded conversation from that point. Um, of course, I need to, in some way, for our own purposes, be able to track well which ones are open and which ones you know or you know right. an opening and closing system. Um, so yeah, I may take a look at the SpiceWorks uh, help desk just to see. Uh, we do have the server up and running, so. Uh, I'm sure it's just a matter of, uh, you know, turning the right things on, checking the right checkboxes or whatever. Um, or is that a different, is that something different that I have to install or do, is it, do we just have the Spiceworks inventory set no, up? No, it's, it's there. It's just not turned on. Okay. Um, I was just okay. talking to somebody today at, at my new job. We have, a uh, a very, um, enterprise minded, uh, I'm sure it was very expensive, uh, trouble ticket system. There are thousands of users at this enterprise, and uh, mm -hmm. it's this, it's massive. It's it's its own server, that sort of thing. And uh, I was helping somebody with it today, and I said, you know, this system sucks, but mm. it's not their fault. All trouble ticket systems suck. They, I've never used one that doesn't. Even the best one still sucks. There's just degrees of suckage. Uh, <laughs> there just is no good way to do this. Right. Right. Yeah, well, you know, and I think that's that's the problem is there's not one that can address everybody's needs. You right. know, um, I think in a very small environment, you don't need a whole lot of bells and whistles. And, um, you know, despite the fact and that's why I don't want to coddle my users in saying that, you know, having another login is a barrier to entry because, come on, really, you can't you can't log into a system. I mean. That's a ridiculous statement, especially with the mind. big "forgot my password" link right under the login page. There, right, right. So you know that's that's one that you know I don't I don't ever want to give on that argument as far as that's actually being a valid excuse. But at the same time, I mean, <clears throat> I get it. They, you know, I just you know you see the users doing that, right? They're like, okay, log in. Where is it? Find the link. Okay, now, oh, log. I don't know that password. And then they stop, right? right? And then they just stop there. It's like a big giant wall. Yeah, they don't read to see that there's a link right there that'll send them their password or reset it for them or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to, I was just thinking, you know, in this type of environment, I don't know that I even need all that. So, I was, you know, thinking, well, let's, uh, uh, and I hate, I use this analogy today as uh you know steve jobs and the minimalist uh, attitude <laughs> so i was trying to draw parallels there over i was like you know what's the bare bones like if i had to make the most basic possible system that had the least possible thing that a user had to do and that's kind of what got me started on that well in the immortal words of the inimitable mike grass who's been on this show before life is not one password deal with it right right that's right. That's why they have LastPass. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, introduce that to them. Give them one other thing to to work with. Oh yeah, yeah. No, LastPass for some, you know, for some people, LastPass is just it, the functionality is great, but they just would never get it. They'd be like, so now what? Now yeah. what do I have? To do? <laughs> uh, I was yeah. listening to another podcast that I like recently, and they they like just discovered uh, LastPass on mobile. They were aware of it. 
on the website just found out that the, there was a mobile app and and i was listening thinking that's the best part about it but yeah that's you why know, I mean, that's why we pay for it right on the web it's good but the the app on the phone is what sells it you know the yeah. fact that you have your last pass vault everywhere um it's you know I, somebody i had to give somebody a password the other day it was okay it was somebody i trust uh mm-hmm. and and they said how do you remember that i said i don't i had to look it up i didn't even know it no idea what that password is i had to look it up and right. now that I've told you, I'm going to change it. <laughs> but it's, well, you know, that's the beauty of LastPass. I use it for everything. I mean, if I need to know, uh, remember the combination to a, a physical lock, yeah. I put it in LastPass. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. Great app. Uh, if we, we can't sell it enough. It'd be nice if they'd cut us a check someday. Well, you know, all the, the money they're making off of us, 12 bucks each, you know, a year. Right. You know, in right. fact, yeah, let's, I, yeah, give us free LastPass, right? Let me, let me let me put it this way. They they say on their website it's $12 a year. Have you ever had to renew your subscription? Actually, yes, I did. Okay. I, I haven't. I, I don't know no. why. They've never sent me an email. Maybe they're just auto-drafting it, and I don't know. I don't care if that's they do. Fine. That's fine. Uh, but I, I can only recall ever having paid them the $12 once. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I did here uh, not... Not too long ago, uh, maybe four months ago or something, I had to renew with them, uh, but happily did so. Right. So, so let's get into some pie, some four yes. and twenty processors baked in a pie. Now, one I want to say, Mark, and I mentioned the uh, that I had ordered Raspberry Pi. I, maybe it was last week, or it was at, at, at most the week before, um, right? I can't remember which one, but yeah, it was very it was, recently. It wasn't long ago, and you know what got me back on the Raspberry Pi. Um, and maybe I should start off by if for some reason you don't know what the Raspberry Pi is, uh, it came out in what was that late 2011? Does that sound right, Mark? That sounds right. Yeah, it's been out about uh, roughly a uh, little over a year. Um, they've already uh, sold their millionth one, by the way. Uh, that happened here recently. Uh, but it's a it's essentially a a small computer. I mean, it's it's a little larger than a credit card. Um, I have in my notes put specs here, which I didn't do. <laughs> but I will say that it's, uh, it's got uh, five. I know the version I have, the early version had, I think, 256 megs of RAM. This one has 512. So they've already upgraded it. Um, the official launch was March 2012. Pre-releases were late 2011. Thank you, Wikipedia. There we go. There we go. Uh, so what I have, and if you are familiar with it, they have uh, an A and B board, and um, those are spec'd out slightly differently. I guess the the B board is the more current one, and uh, it has the network card on it. I think right, that's the has, primary difference. Has the network card? Um, I've got the this, specs here. It's an ARM one seventeen six JSF processor, seven hundred megahertz processor. Uh, can uh, uh, temporarily step up to a gigahertz SD card slot. Uh, uh, Model B comes with 512 megs of RAM. It's got a, gr- a Broadcom graphics card with uh, hardware, ex- hardware accelerated graphics. Uh, you, it doesn't come with any inst- uh, OS in particular, but it's designed to run with Debian Linux. And if you buy one of their pre-formatted cards, that's what you get for 35 bucks. There's the specs for you. Which is exactly what I got. So I bought I bought one of their uh, sort of kits 
and the kit came with the board, um, came with actually two SD cards. One had Debian uh, Wheezy. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Mark. Yes. Um, and the other was uh, XBMC. Okay. Uh, um, so so uh, they so sell one with XBMCs for the Pi? Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I bought this kit from from the Raspberry Pi folks and got uh, got both those. I got two different SD cards, one with Wheezy on it and one with uh, with XBMC. Oh, dude, you just sold me a Pi because I was thinking specifically about getting one to put XBMC on it. And now if I know I don't even have to do that, sold. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was it was absolutely worth it to me. Um, <clears throat> I think I paid... For the total kit, because I've got the Pi, I actually bought one of the uh, little cases because if you just buy the Pi itself, I mean, you're literally just getting the board. Um, so uh, there's all kinds of folks out there that are making uh, cases out of Legos and all kinds of creative cases that they're making, making them out of Altoids tins and uh, stuff like that. So you certainly can do something like that. I just opted to go ahead and get the kit that already had a case a little snap together case that uh, had all the cutouts uh, there already. Uh, so the kit came with that, came with the, the two SD cards, came with a Wi-Fi um, adapter, which is, it, you know, it's just like what you get with the Bluetooth mouse. It's one of those little nib uh, USB uh, plugs, and uh, that gives you Wi-Fi on it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it came really with all of the basics that I wanted. It was a good little kit, and it was under $100. I think it was like $85. Um, so uh, worth it to me, uh, to be sure. Now, uh, one thing that had got me started thinking about wanting to get one of these again, me and Mark have been aware of the project from very early on, and uh, uh I was seeing some posts on, uh, we have like a listserv of uh, edutech people uh, in the state of Texas. And all of a sudden, there was a lot of posts firing off about people, you know, wanting to get pies. They can't find them. Where can you find them? All this kind of stuff. And uh, so I started looking around and I was like, well, you know, it's probably time for me to get one. Um, I've been wanting, I've been kicking around the idea about starting either a, a technology club at my school district, or maybe even like a robotics program. Um, but, uh, we're a very small school district. So I imagine that an endeavor like that might pull in five, somewhere between five to 10 students. But, um, but it's also, you know, the fact that we're out there, we're very rural, um, for those kids, the kids like Mark. Uh, growing up in a rural area, they don't really have any kind of outlet like that. So I thought it'd be nice to provide them with something like that. Um, so, uh, and I think maybe I mentioned this in a previous show, but you know, I, so I've been looking at both the Pi and also the Arduinos and I really ordered them both at the same time. And I got the Pi first. Where, Sean, where did you buy it from? Do you remember the, the seller? Uh, we can put that in the notes. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, and if I can go back into my email, I can find it. Um, uh, because it wasn't from the actual Raspberry Pi site. Like the site itself puts you onto a couple of other kind of resellers. Um, let me see if I'm on the site here now. So let me see if I can find the one that I used. Um, I believe it was this. Uh, they have a, oh, dang it. Where is it now? Yeah, they want element 14. I believe that's, or is it element 14? 
yeah, Element 14 is is the one that I got it through. Um, so they sold a kit, and I bought the kit through them. Um, but I was shocked because I got it really, uh, I mean, I think maybe a week. It might have been seven to ten days, somewhere in there. Um, and now maybe it's because I bought the kit. Maybe they have some of these set aside in in kit fashion, and everybody else is just trying to buy the board on its own. Um, but, uh, like I said, I got it very quickly. Uh, I was very happy with that. Um, and so this last week, cause I think it came in literally, we recorded last Monday and I think it literally came in Tuesday. Um, so now I have this thing and I'm thinking now, what do I do with it? Right. And Mark, you'll be, you'll be really proud because as I go through some of what I've experienced this last week, um, I've had to really start learning some Linux stuff. Uh, and that's been, that's been a little bit of a challenge for me. Uh, you know, they, you'll hear a lot of people talk about the Raspberry Pi and how easy it's like just, you know, plug it together and boom, it's running. Um, and that's not totally the case. Um, uh, I've been operating mostly, I put XBMC in it first just to see what it looked like and it was kind of cool, but I didn't have, this thing has nothing turned on. So if you know Linux, you know that, you know, you, you have to, uh, you know, enable your interfaces and things like this. And Mark, you can probably talk a whole lot more about that, but it's not like Ubuntu where you just install it and it just, uh, everything's already going. Right. Um, now is that typical in most Linux distros? It's typical of Debian. Debian is... Uh, is that kind of distro. That's why Ubuntu and other things are based on Debian because nobody actually likes to use Debian unless they're hardcore. So the the regular people uh, use you know, Ubuntu or, or Mint or other things that are spin, spun off of it that, that do a lot of that work for you. Right, right. Well, uh, yeah, so, you know, I wanted to get, uh, and a big part of the learning curve was just to get the Wi-Fi up and running, right? And... Uh, so I, I plug it into the network and I will say that worked out of box, out of the box. So I plugged it in into, uh, physically plugged it in, uh, and I got internet right away and that was nice. So then I'm like, well, I need to figure out how to get this, this Wi-Fi working. It came with a little disc, one of those little, I don't know, what is that? Like three and a half inch disc. It wasn't this actual full size CD, uh, the smaller version. Yeah. Um, uh, I think three and a half is right. Yeah, that has the uh, that had the Wi-Fi drivers on it. So Sorry, I'm like, from a little spacey. I'm ordering a Raspberry Pi. Oh, okay, <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, uh, so I've got this disc, but I'm like, okay, now how do I? You know, it's funny they give you this disc, but you're like, okay, how do I get this on this Pi? Right? Uh, obviously, no CD-ROM there, and it doesn't have enough power to. You know, I have an external CD-ROM, but it doesn't have enough power to power an external CD-ROM. Uh, so you're, so you're, you're using of, what, like a cell phone charger or how are you powering it? Uh, well, the kit I, I bought also came with the power supply, which is, I'm glad you asked that question because if you just order the board by itself, you're going to need some sort of power supply. And I think you can go up to five volt power supply. Um, yeah, I 10 know watt, the, five volt, two amp, uh, the typical 10 watt, like a, uh, like an iPad charger, uh, will do that probably plus your spinning media. Right. So yeah, you just need, uh, and they, they, 
do mention in there, you know, well, if you have a cell phone charger, you know, that'll work. That um, It's all about the, you know, you still have to worry about the size of the actual adapter that's plugging into it. Um, so you will want to look out for that. It's um, just or, standard and, micro USB, right? No. Uh, well, there is a micro USB slot, but they actually have a power, uh, one of the, like the rounded ones, kind of like what you would have with a laptop. Um, and that's, that's how I'm powering it. Um, I, I think it can get power from a, from a micro USB as well. I, I think okay. I remember reading well, that. Well, e either way, if you are ordering one, you certainly want to make sure that you're taking into account the, the extras, the peripherals that you're going to need. Because if you get this board and you're going to be itching to use it, and then you're going to be like, oh, I don't have power, and oh, I don't have an SD card to, you know, to put a Linux distro on or whatever. Um, I highly recommend going the kit route because it, it just came with everything that I needed to be up and running. Um, what was nice is as soon as I got it out of the box, I put it in its case. Uh, it, it runs video out HDMI, so you need to have a monitor that can accept HDMI or you can run it into a TV um, or you're going to need some sort of an adapter. Um, so luckily, I had an HDMI, HDMI to DVI adapter because I didn't have an HDMI monitor. Um, and that worked just fine. And I was, I was at the, uh, at the desktop, um, uh, within just a few, you know, five minutes, maybe, uh, first, first boot takes a while. Um, and there are some configuration things that you have to run through. So, uh, if you, if you get it, you're not going to get a manual on that first run configuration. For me, one thing, Mark, that was really confusing was how hard it was to configure the dang keyboard. And I mean, it had probably, I don't know, 20, 30 different options for, you know, I was just running through menu after menu of, you know, what uh, regional, what region you were in and all this kind of stuff. And I was just, that was a little surprising to Not me. Not everybody talks English, Sean. Y yes. I, and I, I know, I know, but you know, it, it took me, I had to Google just to be like, what, what option am I supposed to pick, you know, because, uh, you know, it wasn't just, you know, USA, it was, you know. Uh, North American English, you know, UTF-8, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. It was, uh, there were too many options, so it took me a while, but I did. I actually configured it wrong first because I used a British keyboard. Um, and, and then it and, started inserting random extra O's in your words like color and neighbor. Well, well, yeah, or if I needed to do like the at sign, like the at sign, I don't know where the at sign is on a British keyboard, but it is certainly not where our at sign is. But you had a pound uh, key, which you never use right. here in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so it took me a while because I did configure it with that first, and then I had to figure out how to reconfigure it because uh, I, you know, you run through that configuration screen, and then when you're done, it has that checkbox like do not show this to configuration screen at startup again and of course that's what i checked right so then i had to figure out how to get back into those settings <laughs> and thank you lord for the internet is all i could say because uh i was able to google all of that and uh so that's what i should say is if you've never touched linux before you've never played around with anything like this the raspberry pi already has such a robust user base and they are all out there just throwing it up on the internet so uh so don't be afraid if you run into just about any problem uh, it, it's already been seen and somebody's posted it on the net um so uh anyway but uh yeah so back to my my wi-fi saga 
which I'm actually still working through. I, I didn't get a chance to work on it today. But um, uh, so you have this thing and you've got these these files on this little disk and you need to get it on there. And, uh, you know, if I had a external external um, CD-ROM that also had some sort of power plug that went to it, then I could power it to the wall and then plug the CD-ROM into the USB on the Pi and that would work. But I did not have that. So that was frustrating. And then I thought, well, heck, I'll just, you know, run it across on a file share. Now, uh, this will show my, my naivete, but I had that thought because, well, Mark, you've already pre-configured all of our Linux servers to be able to do that. <laughs> and I learned that lesson uh, this week. Because, uh, you know, I just tried to go into like a network share like I'm used to doing on our Linux servers. And I'm like, I can't do it. It doesn't work. So then I start finding out about how to turn SSH on <laughs> and all about, uh, what is it, Samba? Does that sound yeah, right? Samba, NFS. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm working through that learning curve right now. But uh, I would say it could be frustrating, but I'm seeing it as it's, Actually, this little $35 device has become this immensely valuable learning platform because it's providing me the motivation to go in and, and track down the answers to some of these problems, learn a little bit more about Linux, um, and, uh, and I'm, in, I'm enjoying it. See, uh, take your experience, go back about 15 years where you were dealing with... Uh, uh, like 56k internet speeds mm -hmm. um, and using a giant tower instead of a little pie and that was my first linux experience it was with uh, uh red hat 9 um back before the fedora project even existed and it was the same thing it comes with a kernel it didn't even load up a graphical interface you know i had to had to figure out how to do that and then you got to turn on the networking um yeah, so your your experience, you're learning, you know, the hard way. You're learning uh, the ropes, and uh, you know, you haven't had everything done for you, which I think is great because the pie is for um, <clears throat> uh, the project minded. I mean, you could put right. uh, somebody. I'm sure somebody already has a spin of Ubuntu that goes on. You pop the card in, you get everything you're used to uh, with Ubuntu, which would be great. Uh, but I think you're doing it the right way. You're forcing yourself to learn, not just uh, get a project done, but learn in the process. Well, yeah. and it, My you little know, boy's growing up. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, you make a good point that uh, that's the difference. You know, that's uh, one thing that uh, the pie is really being touted for is that, you know, uh, the learning curve reaches further down now you know there's there's people who have less experience that now this makes that accessible to and it's it's very true and that also is a sign of the changing times i mean back like you said when you first started doing that you know you couldn't just up in every little problem you had there was an answer on google you know um you had to really work a lot harder to track down the answers to every single one of those problems um but that's what's exciting about all this is that it is there. It's accessible. Uh, it's accessible price-wise, and and the and, you know the community and the answers are out there and are very accessible as well. Uh, another one I thought you would like, Mark, because I know we've talked about this on the show before, but I pretty much had no idea what it was. Is I've also had to learn all about Putty. 
Yes. I, I think I mentioned putty just recently, actually. Yeah. And, you know, I got to tell you, now I know why everybody loves it because uh, putty, I got that up and running, uh, you know, really quickly. And, uh, you know, I'll say that if you don't know what putty is or you're not really used to using putty, it's a very lightweight application. It's it's just a portable executable. And it lets you, uh, and Mark, correct me if I use any wrong terminology here, but uh, you can, uh, is it SSH into yeah, so you can SSH into the Pi, and you actually basically remoting into the terminal. So right. or the, and it you know, actually it, works as a plug-in to WinSCP, which is the context we mentioned it in when we were doing our end-of-year tool roundup. I said that you could drop Putty into SC, uh, WinSCP, so you get all the GUI goodness of transferring files. Then when you need the command line, Control-P launches Putty and drops you in the terminal. Yeah, and um, now the reason I'll say that this is so nice, and probably the very first thing, I mean, when you plug your Pi in, if if in hindsight now, if I could tell you the very first thing to do is uh, plug it into your network or whatever, get it an IP address, figure out what that IP address is, and then use Putty to do everything else, because. Uh, what you run into with the Pi, uh, a problem that you run into, and the, what I did is, first thing I did was I plugged a mouse into it and a keyboard, and that ate all two of my USB uh, ports. So um, now you can, if you want to use like a USB hub, you can get around it that way. But uh, what was nice is that with Putty, I could remote, basically remote into the Pi's terminal from my own work computer and then execute all the commands that I needed to from there. And in the beginning, you do. There's, there's, uh, you know, like I said, SSH and uh, you know is, is not on. Samba is not uh, installed. Um, so there's, there are a lot of, you know, depending on what you want to do, there's a lot of configuration stuff that you're going to have to do in the terminal anyway. Or you could load up uh, a GUI on it and uh, run uh, um, VNC across it, or install Webmin and do it in a web-based fashion. So it doesn't all have to be terminal. Yeah, and I, you know, I hadn't looked at, um, like, I haven't seen if any, you know, if anybody's put Webmin on it. I'm a little curious as to exactly how much you can load up the Pi before it starts to really uh, bog down. I can't imagine VNC would give it any problems. I wouldn't think. Um, but I'm I'm happy staying in the terminal right now because I think so that's the, where I'm learning. The Debian install that it came with was it just a terminal installation? No, no, no. It comes with a nice desktop. Okay. Um, I'll give them credit there. Because um, uh, there's two different actually, versions of that. I just wasn't sure which one they would put on it. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's called Wheezy. Um, as far as what, yeah, because what there's uh, refresh my memory, Mark. What what are the different uh, well, interfaces? It, you can have you know just straight command line, or you can have GNOME or KDE. Uh, right. or ice we or or uh, i'm trying to think of one of the lightweight ones they might use i think the the desktop i believe has the lde okay. actually on the desktop i don't know if that's a version of that or not yeah yeah linux uh -huh. desktop environment lightweight desktop environment it's got a couple of different names but yeah that's one yeah so the background has lde uh, like worked into the artwork there so uh, i i guess that's what it is um and it is it's you know there's not a lot there uh now the Wheezy, the Debian Wheezy is uh, quote unquote an education version. Um, now, when they talk about that, all I can think about is when they're talking education, they're talking high school and college uh, because what it really has is some pre-installed development tools. Um, 
so I, you know, I, I don't, I don't see the education part except for maybe at that level where they're going to be taking these things and, and doing some project based learning. Um, so I guess that's, that's the quick overview of just what I've been dealing with. Um, I wanted to run, uh, one, there's a couple of projects. There's a lot of really cool projects, things that people are doing with the pie. Um, I wanted to run my first project idea by you, Mark, and see what you thought about this. Uh, so my idea, <clears throat> uh, working in an educational environment in there, especially at the high school, uh, and this is very tight wad, this is a tight wad approved idea. I don't know if, if it will work out to be, and, you know, in the end, what it cost would be tight water proof, but uh, I want to do uh, digital displays in the high school where they can, you know, they have always got these announcements, information that they want to get in front of the students and whatnot. And a lot of schools nowadays, especially larger schools, have larger budgets and things. You'll see that they have these uh, LED uh, televisions or displays or whatever out in the hallways that are displaying this information. So I wanted to try to do one of these with a pie. So my thought was I, I could get like a 32-inch uh, LED HD TV. Um, you know, they're going for really cheap now. Uh, I found one for $229. Uh, use the Pi mounted to the back of that somehow. Uh, and essentially uh, run announcements in Linux. But essentially, it's going to be, I don't know, what like a screensaver or something. It would be whatever program. I'll have to figure out what program that's going to be. Um, or maybe it's, you know, custom build one. But, uh, or just look at the notes where I put two in there. Did you put something? Oh, Concerto and Zebo. Yes. Yeah, okay. I, I've actually looked at this project before. And, and uh, when I was looking at doing it, TVs were just still too expensive. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the, the, the methodology there, you've already got Wi-Fi everywhere. You know, it's, uh, right. it's, it's really easy. You just need some sort of centralized place. I consider doing it, you know, something as simple as, um, you know, a slide deck, you know, going, going way back there. But, uh, the time uh -huh. that we, that I considered doing this, uh, the TVs were still prohibitively expensive, but now, yeah, you could get a 40 inch TV for 300, you know, get a, uh, right. spend a little more and get a 40 inch display, put one in each hallway. Um, and yeah, that's. Uh, there's two two things that I had looked in uh, in the uh, in the past concerto and and Zibo or Zibo X I B O, um, that's the one that I would probably look first. They're open source. They're uh, they're they're you control them with a web interface. So you pull up a web page, you type in the message, uh, and it displays it in a graphically appealing manner. So yeah, what you're doing there is is perfectly feasible. You're talking about mounting it somewhere. You're, it's a Raspberry Pi. Hot glue it. To the back well, of the TV. Well, yeah, I know, and 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 that's the beauty of it. You really can, and like with the enclosure I bought, you could literally just hot glue, slap it on the back of the TV, run the HDMI cable, um, and then yeah, with the Wi-Fi, you have the network connectivity there, so you don't even have to run any special, uh, you know, you don't have to run network cables to this thing or anything. Um, the only thing I've I've thus far had a problem with is the fact that I would. You know, wherever I decide to mount it, I'm either A, limited, and then I have to put it really close to a power supply, and you're still going to have wires running down the wall, or I'm going to have to have some electrical work done to have, you know, an outlet uh, right there behind where the TV is mounted so we don't have any wires showing. Um, but all told, you know, the 32-inch version that I had priced out, you know, you're going to run roughly a little over $400. And uh, I've looked at commercially, you know, 
available uh, uh, kits, I guess, where they're probably doing exactly the same thing. But you know, they're selling them for uh, you know a thirty-two inch version might be twelve, fifteen hundred dollars. Right. So. Um, you know, easily three, four times that expense. So I thought it was a tight waterproof project and, uh, that that's, that's what I'm going, I'm moving toward that right now. Yeah. And, uh, when I was looking at doing it, I, I thought about using a netbook cause that was the, the, the big thing at the day. And that added another couple hundred dollars, uh, for a netbook. Yeah, but yeah, I think that's a great project and it'd be a, a, a good thing to have student workers do, um, and you know, put your first one up just in the hallway with an extension cord, and you know, and beta test it, and see how it works. Right. Um, I think that'd be a great project. I'd like to see it in action. Well, uh, well, you will see it in uh, in future shows. You will certainly hear about it. I'll try not to go too crazy on the Raspberry Pi content. The, the Arduino is going to follow too, uh, but because uh, I'm really becoming a big fan of. Uh, actually kind of hardware level control. So I've been uh, just immersing myself in uh, how to program microcontrollers and the Arduino got me started on that. But now I'm already moving beyond the Arduino and finding that, you know, you can buy microcontrollers and, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, uh, you start wiring together your own hardware and that's all, uh, I don't know, hitting a soft spot with me, I guess, because I'm going fanatic with it. Uh, so, uh, you'll certainly be hearing about all this stuff in the future. I'll try not to overdo it is the best I can say. <laughs> I, I like uh, this one you put in here. You want a, a light to go off anytime somebody sends you a, a, a support ticket? Oh, yes, yes. So this I, I can't take credit for this uh, this idea. This was uh, Johnny, my assistant. Uh, I got a, a pie for each of us, and I called this our R&D. So I, I bought uh, each of us one, and I told Johnny, you know, I'll get you one. But it's with the, uh, you know, up front, it's, you know, this is R&D for the school. So you can't just take it and turn it into something groovy for yourself. You have to come up with an idea that in some way, shape, or form serves the school or your job. So uh, his idea that he came up with was when the trouble ticket system, when a new trouble ticket came in, some way or another, it would route through this pie, which would connect to like a police light or something, you know, mounted in the in the office, uh, maybe even a little siren. And uh, we'd have like this, you know, uh, f- fire station light or something going off telling us, oh, you know, got a new trouble ticket. <laughs> I thought that was great. Uh, and the nature of our trouble ticket system now is it will notify you when you get a new ticket, but, uh, the way it does that is email. So if you don't happen to actually be in your email, or if you don't have, like, I don't have email alerts turned on on my phone because my phone would be beeping every two seconds. Um, so that, and you don't check your phone, you don't return text messages or even phone calls for that matter. I, I do, I do just not at the end of the day around seven 15. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so we just thought that that would be a great way to sort of bring that out, right? So if we're sitting there, trouble ticket comes in and boom, and we've already got the spot. There's a spot that kind of <laughs> will hit us both visually. And of course, like I said, we could put a siren on it. Right next to the president, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, and again, this is, this is, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a goofy, funny project, but it's, it's a kind of neat little thing is when you get a hold of one of these things, you start thinking of all the things that you can do with them. And, uh, it's, it really wouldn't be too hard. That for instance, wouldn't be too difficult because our trouble ticket system now generates an email. You can scan that, 
scan that feed, look for a specific from, you know, address. And anytime an email comes from that trouble ticket system, you know, we could have it go off something, uh, along those lines. Actually, it'd be a lot easier than that. Just enter an email address for the Pi system in the trouble ticket. So that's one of the emails that gets sent out. Right. Right. So yeah, it's, it, it's when you start to think about it, it's not anything that'd be too terribly complicated to do, but, uh, it would be a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, so you can look forward to, as we finish these projects, we'll probably post pictures. And, uh, with that one in particular, we're thinking of, uh, of maybe making a video. <laughs> I mean, minus the, the light that could be done with just a regular mail client and a set of speakers connected to it. It wouldn't have to be anything special at all. Just you right. know, have your email notification be a big foghorn or something. Uh, right. And, right. and you're done, but the light, you got to have a relay there. That's a little more trickery. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's what we're, we're trying to get into Johnny. Uh, again, my assistant is, uh, his real big kick with these two devices is he wants to work, have them work together. And if you Google, uh, Raspberry Pi and Arduino, uh, there are projects where people have, uh, you know, meshed these together and, um, are using the Pi to program the Arduino and, uh, run a little bit more advanced systems. Arduino is, is relatively weak on computing power. So if you want to do anything even more advanced, then you can pull on the Pi for a little bit extra computing power. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, the possibilities are endless. There's just tons of stuff you can do with this stuff. Um, I've seen, uh, you know, just in doing the homework, there's, uh, there was a, there was a college that did a Raspberry Pi supercomputer where they, uh, they, uh, they put 64 Raspberry Pis together. Uh, this, this guy's six-year-old son made the case out of Legos. Um, they all run the Debian Wheezy OS, um, uh, and they all have 16 gig SD cards for a total of one terabyte worth of memory. And, uh, they're running a supercomputer, uh, based strictly on Raspberry Pis. I thought that was one cool project. Yeah, the University of Southampton, their Lego, uh, supported Pi powered, uh, <laughs> utterly ridiculous Rube Goldberg version of a supercomputer. It's awesome. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can, you can go out there. There's a guy who made a beatbox and uh beat as in B E E T not B E A T. And it's literally this little box that holds six actual beats like the vegetable. And when you tap the beats, they make unique drum sounds. <laughs> yeah. So it looks totally retarded. So you're but beatboxing you're like, with your beatbox. That's awesome. Right. It, it was great. So, yeah. When you, if you ever see the beatbox out there on the, on the net and, uh, like I did for so, so long, I didn't want to click on it. I was like, this has got to be stupid. And then I watched the video and I was like, that is freaking hilarious. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but tons of things to do out there. Um, if you've heard that they're impossible to get, they're not, I'm here to tell you, I, like I said, I got mine in uh, seven to 10 days. So, um, I don't know. Check it out. You got any more questions for me on that, Mark? We had something here. What's Open Compute? What's that link about? Uh, let me go back and refresh my it's, memory. It was uh, the one thing that wasn't about the Pi. Uh, let's see here. Facebook, open hardware, applying open source principles. None of that rings a bell to you? No. Uh, I'm trying to think now. Is this a straight yeah. copy and paste that you didn't actually mean to put in there? 
Well, no, I actually I did. I was looking at this open compute when I was doing uh, research for the show, but yeah, it was sometime last week. Uh, this is a neat project. It's got a lot of big companies behind it, but yeah, what they're working on is actually um, you'll have you'll probably want to look at this market. It's kind of interesting. They're looking at building. They call it open source hardware, but it's really uh, it, it's making like modular modular servers like a whole modular server infrastructure or backbone um, that, you know, guys like us could, rather than having to go out and go to Cisco or, or Dell or whoever to buy servers, you could, you could like home bake servers and they're modular. The components would, would plug together and, um, and, and so you could build, you know, as much box or as little box as you needed. Uh, I'm I'm not doing it a whole lot of justice. I was just uh, I, I just did a little homework on it one day and wanted to throw it in the notes, but wanted to throw it out there. Uh, so if you're a server room guy, uh, you and you haven't heard of this now. It's been going on for I think a couple of years now, uh, but it was the first that I had ever heard of it. I guess it's just here recently, really starting to uh, gain some traction. Um, yeah, so check it out. It's opencompute.org. All right. So that brief pie-free moment uh, to uh, sort of a sorbet to cleanse the palate before your tip of the week. Yes, which is right back to the Raspberry Pi. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, the University of Cambridge, um, if, you, if you do get a Raspberry Pi, uh, they have a, uh, I don't know, a course, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, and it's called baking pie. And what this uh, what this course does is it it takes you through with a Raspberry Pi developing your own operating system. So they have a quick start tutorial section that that gets you into just the basics of the Raspberry Pi. So they assume that you're starting with the Raspberry Pi. Um, so you you really need one to to take the course. Um, and then they go through interacting with some different things, uh, like temperature sen sensors and, you know, some basic, uh, uh, you know, machine level programming stuff. And then they start getting into uh, OS development and uh, Turing machines and, you know, doing distributed computing. So much like the uh, supercomputing um, and even uh, using them for like image processing. So. Uh, again, taking these things, the Raspberry Pi, one of the big, uh, you know, things that they push about the Raspberry Pi is that the video processing on it is actually decent. You know, you can you can game on the Raspberry Pi. Um, you know, people are, are playing Call of Duty, I guess, on it and whatnot. This looks uh, like assembler looking through this thing that they're teaching you how to code in assembly yes. to talk to the actual, uh, to the actual hardware. hardware. Right. Yeah. So you, uh, yeah, the, the, the base language that they're working with there is assembly language, which I thought was really cool because that takes us back to Steve Gibson. We know Steve Gibson programs in assembly language. Um, so yeah, you're learning assembly language, interacting directly with the hardware and developing your own operating system. And other, as far as, uh, you know, the other advanced kind of computing, uh, items that I mentioned. So it's a great course that's out there for free. That uh, if you just get your hands on a Raspberry Pi and you're that geeky, um, I, I think you're going to love it. So University of Cambridge, we'll have a, a link to it in the show notes. 
If commands like move and store and load and left shift really get your juices going, this is for you. Yeah, or if you've never learned binary and you really want to learn binary, uh, because uh, I, I've already gone through some of the coursework and uh, yeah, you get a heavy dose of how those commands translate into binary language and things like that. Oh, I remember back when I had to take the uh, admin course in uh, networking that I took years ago and it was, we were not only working in binary, but we were like multiplying and dividing binary. So I, had, I, I woke up at nights in a cold sweat shouting, 110111! It, <laughs> it was terrible. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. It's not anything, you know, at that level, I don't know. I like doing some of the hardware stuff, but uh, I'm getting more into the microprocessors. And uh, they, like the one I'm looking at right now, you, you actually program in C++. So, you know, even today's microprocessors, uh, handle higher level languages than uh, uh, than assembly. All right. Nobody uses assembly anymore. Right. Except maybe <laughs> Steve Gibson. Right. Uh, but but still, you know, if if you're super engineer minded, you're probably going to enjoy that course. Um, I'm still enjoying it because I'm learning a lot out of it. So uh, so check it out. So if you want to share your Raspberry Pi success stories or suggestions or comments, or if you just think Sean's an idiot for spending 56 minutes talking about the Raspberry Pi, the place you do that is at elementsopi.com. Use the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Use the Leave Us a Voicemail widget at the top of the page. Uh, or you can uh, always email him directly, Sean at elementopi.com or me, Mark, at elementopi.com. Or if you just happen to be driving around listening to this on your phone and you want to give us a, make a phone call, that would be 559-I-AM-OPIE. So those are the ways that you can contact us, and we would appreciate it if you would. Also, we are uh, looking for listeners to Spotlight. Been a while since we did one of those. Yes. We need somebody to step up and say, hey, put that Spotlight on me. Like so. maybe you, HQA Radio, in the chat room. <laughs> that's right. Show up uh, in the chat room, get singled out. Yes, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else, Mark? I don't think I have anything else to say. Well, if, then, I'm if only I had some measure of of what a quality show this was. Well, let me let me put it out there for you, Mark, because I personally think this was a great show. All right. Well, having had the blessing of Pope Sean, there's nothing left to say. But this is Mark signing off, and Sean signing off. <laughs>